checked by Murphy. Murphy starts the rush. He hits Hunter. He did it all. A shot and a goal. Juno finds Bellows. Here's Bellows sweeping in. Pass it down. Loose hook and goal. Joey Juno scores the goal. And the Capitals are headed to the Stanley Cup final. And now Cruz nets off right half. 720 to go. Cruz even a move to the front. The shot he holds and it's goal. Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined by the editor-in-chief of The Athletic Detroit, Craig Custins. How are you doing, Craig? I'm good, Adam. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. And I guess we got great timing because we have you on now, and we can talk a little bit about your new book, Behind the Bench. Um, I don't know if you want to start by just telling people a bit about what it is, and then we can kind of get into the swing of things. Yeah, so, all right, so basically the concept was that I would sit down with 10 coaches, kind of contemporary coaches, because these are the guys that I know pretty well um, in most cases, and watch a game with them. Um, in most cases, kind of their crowning achievement or their big moment in, in hockey. And along the way, you know, over the course of those few hours, try to get some backstory and some you know, some behind the scenes thoughts from them, some X's and O's, maybe some leadership theory, which actually it ends up being a lot of that, which maybe I don't know if I unintentionally or subconsciously steered it in that direction because I love that stuff or that's, you know, these guys just love to talk about that. And, you know, and, and it was the thought being if we can get them in the comfort of their home or their office and stretched out and over a long period of time, we'd maybe get them to open up more than we normally see in a press conference or a scrum or whatever after a game. And, uh, it was kind of a crazy timeline to try to pull it off in a short period of time. Uh, but it ended up, the coaches were great and it ended up, you know, the results were better than I could have imagined. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And it's going to be a really great read for all of our listeners out there. Um, I'm curious. I mean, you were, you talked to a lot of these guys and, um, just how much do you think that coaching matters in today's NHL? I mean, a lot of the analytical circles will say stuff like, you know, there are a handful of coaches that make a really big difference. You know, you have the Babcock, the Quenville, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there are some guys that are, you know, not so good. But most coaches are in the middle and don't really move the needle too much. I mean, where do you fall on that? Um, well, you know, these are all coaches that have, you know, have won something of significance, and that was kind of the prerequisite to get in there. And 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 so. You know, in in terms of this book, the guys that I'm talking to are, I think, are certainly coaches that move the needle. And, you know, you just I think Mike Babcock's a great example of that. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that always is striving to get better. It was interesting talking to him because, you know, he's telling me these stories about in the summer he would go speak at a corporation, kind of one of those as like a, a guest speaker or whatever. And then he ends up picking the CEO's brain. To, to try to bring something back to the Maple Leafs that he can impl- then implement from outside the world of hockey. And and I just think, you know, people that push the envelope like that and, and really try to find ways to get better, I, I think there is a – I think it certainly moves the needle. Um, and, I, and I think, look, you look at – I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are a great, a great example of where a coach matters greatly because – you know, I mean, I'm an analytics guy too. I I'm certainly use it in my reporting, but I, I think, the, you know – it's it's flawed in that hey anybody could coach Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang and Mark Andre Fleury or whatever the group was for years and you should just be able to roll out to Stanley Cups every year, and that wasn't the case and and 
I, I don't think you can overstate the job that Mike Sullivan has done since he's been plugged in and reigniting Sidney Crosby and really finding a way to make it work there. And I watched him last year in the playoffs for three rounds. Um, you know, he just was coaching his rear off. And, and whereas a lot of coaches in, in between games in the playoffs are trying to rest, you hear a lot in the playoffs that rest is a weapon. By necessity, Mike Sullivan had to had to coach. Those practices were pretty intense. There was a lot of X's and O's going on, some adjustments being made because, as you remember, that defense was basically <laughs> held together by, you know, duct tape. And so um, I think you saw it. Now, are you know, I think on some terms, I'll agree on, on some level that maybe it's like goaltending, right? Like mm-hmm. there's eight to ten maybe really good goalies. You you don't you know then you have a bunch of guys that okay they're going to keep you in there if you have the right team and then you have you know the, the subpar goaltending <laughs> and you you're lucky if you have one of the good ones you you can win I guess if you have one of the replacement level or whatever you want to call it and then God forbid you have one of the guys at the bottom and maybe that's the case in coaching but I I think it's I think it's certainly a necessity to have a good one if you're trying to do great things. Well, the NHL is so tight, you know, that, that all these little things matter so much. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you talked about how Mike Babcock went and he tried to bring something back to the Maple Leafs. And um, it makes me wonder, do coaches get stale? I mean, uh, do mm-hmm. even co- even the great ones um, have a bit of a shelf life? I mean, obviously, that's something that uh, Washington is people in Washington are thinking about a lot right now. And um, but in general, do you think that coaches kind of lose their efficiency a little bit with players after they've been there for an extended period of time. I think so. And I think the coaches would, uh, would probably admit that after a while, if you're saying the same thing over and over to players, um, you know, they get tired of hearing it or it just isn't as effective anymore. I think it's, you know, I don't tend to agree if people are like, Oh, two years into this thing, this guy's shelf life is up. Right. Like I think that it, it takes a while. And, you know, Joel Quinville, look, he's been in Chicago forever. And, and uh, you know, that seems to be going okay there. So I, I don't know. I, maybe it varies by coach. Um, but, you know, I think you mentioned Mike, Mike Babcock and, and what he implements. And one of the things that he, he kind of brought over into kind of his realm in, in hockey was, and I think we hear it outside of the world, like the, the idea of a change agent and having somebody on your staff who is looking at things differently um, and, he, he, I think he really made a concerted effort to surround himself with people that think um, maybe not in a non-traditional manner. And, and you look at some of the young hires he made towards the end in Detroit, uh, you know, in terms of video coaching or skills coaches, you definitely see it in, in the staff in Toronto, both on the front office level and on the coaching staff. He's not afraid to take a risk on somebody. And I think that that helps preventing prevent you from getting stale as a coach, right? Like you've got – he really challenges his assistants to bring a new idea every day to the office and to to debate it and throw it up on the board and let's let's talk about this and i think if you're not doing that you run the risk of of becoming stale yeah you're making me a little jealous that the capitals don't don't have a guy like babcock but trotz is also a guy that a lot of people hold in uh, pretty high esteem so I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on him because he's a guy that's obviously been in the league for a really long time now. He's only had to coach two different franchises, um, but he's never made it out of the second round. And uh, as you're well aware, and all of our listeners are well aware, the Capitals haven't really been able to get out of the second round either. Um, just generally. I hadn't heard that really. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean it's uh... it's breaking news here. I mean, <laughs> uh, if if people are late to the show, not now they know. But uh, <laughs> what what are your just your general thoughts about why they can't get out of the second round? But uh, more specifically. 
Do you think that Barry Trotz has trouble getting out of the second round for for any reason at all? Yeah, I'm kind of a um, habitual Barry Trotz defender when it comes to this stuff because I do really like him. I respect him because I had someone come to me the other day and say, look, you know, they, they know I, I like Barry Trotz and I think I, he's a big culture guy and I think sometimes people use that as a punchline and, and what, you know, culture is only as good as your best players and all that. But I, I do believe that, you know, you do need to have that and there's and it's hard to quantify and all that. And it, it, I was, you know, posed the question, who's a better coach, Guy, uh, Guy Boucher or Barry Trotz? And I'm like, you know, kind of traditionally you'd say, I think Barry Trotz, right? And, you know, Guy Boucher has gone to the Eastern Conference Finals twice. And how many years has he been a head coach? Like four years or whatever it is. Not a lot. And, and not a lot. And you're sitting there going, boy, that's, you know, and, and this isn't a knock on Guy Boucher, who I think is a really smart coach. Um it was more like, you know, when do you know when do we stop giving Barry Trotz the benefit of the doubt on some level? And um, I, I don't, you know, obviously this is a big year for him. I just I was on that series last year and and I watched how it played out. And I really have a like, I mean, you watched it. I had a hard time pinning that on Barry Trotz. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I don't. Mean, I look at that one goal where you had uh, Orpic and Alsner out there together, but I mean, it's one goal in the course of a seven-game no, series. Yeah. So it, it's hard to really blame a guy for for one goal specifically. And and honestly, as you said earlier, I mean, Sullivan had to make adjustment after adjustment. And and I personally thought that the only game that the Capitals uh, didn't at least play on par with the Penguins was Game Seven. I really thought the Capitals had a very very strong series, e- easily better than they did the year before. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I like they could. The game seven was really weird, and I can't explain the game seven. I but like I walked away even months later, going, I still don't know how Pittsburgh won that series, and like I don't. And and but that game seven was weird, and I don't know. You know, I and this, and I don't want to say this is a Barry Trotz thing, but like kind of t- panning back. You know, sometimes t- you see teams take on the personalities of their coaches, and if a coach gets tight in a big moment or something. And I, again, I'm not saying this about Barry Trotz, but it, you see it translate onto the bench. Or, or you know, if, if coaches are yelling at refs all the time, you, the players are all yelling at refs. So they t- tend to take on the personality of their team sometimes. And so, like, you know, you, you wonder if this becomes a trend, like a team doesn't perform well in the big moments. Is there some sort of, is, you know, a signal that's going being given by the coach? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, is there something there that we're not picking up on? But... I don't know, you know, but I, I still, I would, I, I go with Barry Trotz still at this point. Yeah, it's interesting because what you just said is is uh, what you hear all the time about Bruce Boudreau, uh, you know, the guy who was yes. a, a big part of the Capitals, and uh, you said you're sometimes a bit of a Barry Trotz apologist or defender, and I like to feel like Bruce Boudreau is a guy that that I, I I don't know why I feel very strongly that it's not his fault, but he's only been able to do it once with Anaheim, which. Uh, it, you know, get out of the second round. That is, and right. the uh, the the Capitals are um, still yet to do it, regard even without him. So it, it's really it's like, really Mr. interesting. Drill's like, I, like he's, I mean, look at his regular season record. You you don't like you don't do that if you're not a good coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, after a while, you sit there and go, man, win one of those just so I can. Not you know, I have something to hold on to. Talk about it, (laughs) yeah. Right, right. Like you want to sit there, like after a while, like oh man, because that like that Ducks, like the Ducks that one year should have beat Chicago. It was a Western Conference Mm -hmm. final, like they. And and then so then you look at the flip side, those Blackhawks teams and Joel Quenville, they always seem to find a way, right? And I don't know, is it is it because of Joel Quenville or is it because it's Jonathan Taves or you know, 
Or is it just because hockey's funny and sometimes when you hit the post it goes in and sometimes it doesn't? And there's actually I forget which coach is said it in my book, but they're like, look, you know, we're watching all these great moments and maybe it was Ken Hitchcock and it's like people don't want to talk about how much luck factors into all of this and reputations. And there was multiple times when I'm doing this book and we're watching these big moments and there's a, you know, a puck hits a crossbar. I, I remember it happening with Dan Bilesma and I want to say it was a Nicholas Cronwall shot. It was a shot from a defenseman with like a minute and a half left in the game or two minutes left of game seven of the 2009 Stanley mm-hmm. Cup finals. And it should have gone like it should have gone in and Bilesma kind of were in his living room and he lets out a whistle and he's like, oh man, he's like, I th- <laughs> He was, you know, from my view on the bench, I thought that was in. And and I'm like, I totally forgot. I had no recollection of that happening, right? Like, I was at that game, and I had no recollection of that happening. And I'm sitting there going to myself, his whole, like, life is different. Like, let's say that goes in, you know, Lidstrom scores in overtime, and, you know, this rookie coach doesn't win in the final, and it doesn't go well. You know, then we saw it happen with Pittsburgh. Like, his whole reputation is different. All because of a puck. Uh, we're talking about an inch. And... That happened with Ken Hitchcock in Dallas and that, that crazy six million hour game, uh, the Dallas Buffalo game. Like they, the Stars probably had no business winning that game. And instead they find a way, you know, Brett Hall scores and, you know, Ken Hitchcock is, you know, knighted on some level, right? And, and again, we're watching that. And Ken Hitchcock said, we basically couldn't, had this series gone seven, we couldn't have fielded a lineup. Like we would, it would have been AHL players. We were so banged up. Like he's, he's like, we would not have won game seven. That's that's nuts. All, all this great stuff because it's you say all this stuff and obviously coaches, but I'm thinking about the the reputation of Alex Ovechkin. You know, he's the guy right. who uh, that puck goes an inch left or right, and Flurry's uh, shaft of his stick doesn't get it in Game Seven. That game's tied. Who knows how, what would have happened? The whole building would have woken up. Who knows? I mean, and in his pat, even Game Seven in 2009, we were talking about the how the Penguins ended ended up going on and winning that series. But uh, Ovechkin had a breakaway at the start of Game Seven against Pittsburgh. I'll never forget that breakaway. Me, me like neither. I, that, that, yeah. I thought that was it. I thought he was going to score. I was there. I, you know, I was at all these games. So it's uh, it's incredible the stuff that uh, we've seen and reputation, as you said. That that's a really great way to think right. about it. And so that's a good, like, so that if, if Ovechkin scores, like we can completely put to rest, oh, this guy's not a clutch player and all this, you know, all this stuff that just becomes that nobody wants to just say it's, it's, it's luck or whatever, you know, and I don't like, that's, that's such a great example of it from a player perspective. Cause if he buries that and then they go on and now all of a sudden, first of all, I, I promise you, and this is just torture, but like the Capitals would have won the cup last year. Yeah. If they win that game. I, yeah. I promise you. And and so now we're like Ovechkin is clutch and he's taking the cup back to Russia and this guy's the greatest of his era and and you know Trotz is you know this is guy's a Hall of Fame like because <laughs> because Flurry makes a save you yeah. know what I'm saying yeah I know exactly what you're saying uh, trust me I, I I wake up in a cold sweat thinking about this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's uh. I, I also get it for the uh, the game they lost to the Rangers in seven in overtime. Uh, that that one was, yeah. uh, is another is another. I mean, there's so many you can talk about with the Capitals. Where one moment, if it had just gone differently, uh, things would have been different. But and that's why, like, I just cringe when people beat up on Alex Ovechkin. Yeah, I mean, it's just cringe. It's such a bad look because it's like, what you, maybe he should like. What do you want him to do differently there? I don't know. I mean, the, the guy has done so many things great. I mean, and his playoff numbers are great, too. And it's really right. easy to forget how good his playoff numbers have been. Uh, despite, I mean, last year he was playing through an injury that whole second round. Like, 
that he got that took that cadre knee in the first round. That was uh, I, I, I kind of I wasn't even sure he was going to play after that. I mean, it, it looked really bad when it happened. So he he's uh, he's a trooper and uh, he's he's still loved here. So, um, but I, I only got you for so long, so I really got to get get some more. Like okay, this is sorry. great. No, it's okay because I could talk about this for hours. It, trust me. But <laughs> um, when we look at this season, this you said earlier, this is a big season for Trots, and it is. It's a huge season. Um, he's coming in as a lame duck and. I don't know how much the players pay attention to stuff like that, but it's something that all the fans and all the media are well aware of, especially when you got, have a guy like uh, Todd Reardon as an associate coach rather than just an assistant. Um, right. how, how much of an impact, if, if any, do you think this is going to have on, on how the team is playing? Man, that's, that's, it's a good question. I don't like bringing the coach in as a lame duck, and I don't know what <laughs> Barry Trotz could have done differently. It, it, I just think it puts puts a guy in a tough spot, right? Like, it... it it's a little bit reminiscent of what we saw last year with Mike Yo and and Ken Hitchcock in St. Louis. Like, we're bringing in Mike Yo for next year, you know? Like, it's like, uh, and but, but you just knew the second it went sideways, it was going to be Mike Yo. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't think it puts your coach in a great position. Um, but like, you know, Brian McClellan's a smart guy, and Barry Trotz is a is a confident guy. Like, I've I've had this conversation with coaches. I'm like, do you you know would you you've comfortable coaching the last year and they're like, yeah, it's fine. And, and, and I think maybe we overestimate how much players pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Like guys aren't going to not win games because they're trying to get very trots removed or, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, but I, I just, I, I don't think it's a, if you're the capitals, I would, I, this is how I would do it just personally. Like I'm extending them just for the optics. And then if you have to eat the money, eat the money, like what's, what's a couple million, you know, I would, well, I guess coaches are making more than that now, but I don't know. I, I think it's a tough, it puts your coach in a tough spot. Yeah. I mean, I think the Capitals have kind of put him in a tough spot, especially with the roster being so much worse this season than it was last season. You know, Sportsnet right. ranked the Capitals as having the worst offseason of any team. And uh, I don't think well, they did. Eh? Off. Yeah, I agree. Oh, wow. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, uh, you know, it hasn't been helped. You know, Burkowski right now can't bury and obviously they need him to have a big year, but I mean, a lot of these are self-inflicted wounds for the organization, and um, you have to kind of wonder how much of that is, is a co- combination of the general manager and coach maybe not being on the same page. And I think it's going to be a tough year for them, but um, I'd be reminisced if I didn't kind of get just try to get your opinion on, on what do you think of the Capitals really this year, and, and what do you see being possible from them? Well, I've got a pet theory that I'm still working out on the Capitals that, that – and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say all this with a caveat that I've been since we've launched the Athletic in Detroit, I've been really focused on kind of getting our Red Wings coverage going and mm-hmm. making sure that's well. So I'm not as tuned, like I'm not watching the Capitals as much as I would have even a year ago. Um, but like I, I had this discussion with someone. Like I, I think you know the expectations lifting. Uh, there was so much pressure on them last year, and I think even adding a guy like Shattenkirk, like. Was almost unnecessary. It just even added more pressure because it was just like, okay, this is it. We're all in for this playoff run, and that's a really hard way to play hockey, I think. So, um, you know, the working theory would be maybe all of that lifted, maybe being having the worst off season in the history of the game or whatever. <laughs> like maybe that just lifts that pressure, and they can just kind of go out and play, and because it's still a good team. It's not, you know, what I'm saying it's not like they're awful. They're not, they're, like Colorado, they're not like Colorado of a couple of years ago or anything. Right. Like, you, I mean, they're still pretty loaded. I mean, the, the D t- took a hit. I, what I think it, it's um, – I think it's an opportunity for a guy like Braden Holtby who, you know, has been great for them. But now it's like, okay, 
we're asking you to do a little bit more this year. And, you know, we, we think you're a, a top five goalie in the league. Well, now, you know, this is this is a chance for him to really make his mark and maybe carry a little bit more of the burden um, in terms of, of helping this team overachieve on expectations. But I, I do think the lack of expectations will help help the cause. Yeah, I was kind of feeling that too, especially when Ovechkin came out of the gate so, so strong. Uh, you know, obviously they've cooled down a little bit now and, you know, Niskanen's hurt. The the lack of defensive depth has definitely shown. But as you said earlier, Pittsburgh was able to win the cup with that abysmal decor last year. So maybe maybe something good can happen. It's changed my whole, like, my whole, th- like, I was like, you can't win a cup without a stud defenseman. And it was it was why I was always leery about the, the Capitals because it was like, well, they've got, you know, their best players on the wing, like that's never a good formula for success. Mm-hmm. Typically in the NHL, like you want the stud center, you want the stud defenseman, and then you have a, a you know a fighting chance. And then the, the Penguins go out and win it last year with you know Ron Hainsey and all these guys, like just scratching and clawing defensively. So like my so now my new you know my answer it's like okay as long as you have two Hall of Fame centers. You can not, you can not have that stud defenseman, and you you can still win a cup, I guess. You got a new rule, you know. New uh, rule, yeah. yeah. The Capitals <laughs> would hope Backstrom and Kuznetsov can get there, but uh, I think there's maybe maybe it's more like you need to have two top hundred ever centers. You know, you got to have. Yeah, <laughs> even if Malkin wasn't a top hundred, we all know he really was one of the top one hundred. That's right. So. That's right. I'm just gonna keep changing my theory and to to fit whatever happens that year. You know, or you can do it's like you can do that with some analytical models. You just tweak it every time if something's not quite <laughs> not, not quite coming out right. Just right, that's right. bad data management. People shouldn't do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean that's just kind of how it is. I mean, but the Detroit has a guy that the Capitals used to think was their going to be their stud defenseman. That's Mike Green, and uh, it'd be cool to kind of get your take on his hot start this year because I know a lot of our listeners still kind of care about what's going on with him, and uh, he's really been great out the gate for Detroit. He's been really good. I mean, especially offensively, and you know, still has. The kind of the, you know the, he does his Mike Green things in the defensive zone sometimes that you're not crazy about, but like uh, he uh, early on especially it seemed like he assisted on every one of the Red Wings goals out of the gate, um, and he he really becomes an interesting piece for the Red Wings this year because um, he's playing well, he's he's providing offense, you know he's you know he's good on the power play, right-handed shot, all those things that um, as a as unrestricted free agent at some point he becomes a guy they're going to have to listen to offers on. And I will be fast. This is going to be a storyline here in Detroit because, you know, this this is a franchise that's still trying to make the playoffs. And there's a lot of pride in that front office. And they they want to, you know, pack this new building. And they want to, they want to do well this year. And they've gotten out to a pretty strong start. And I'm really curious to see, like, if they're sitting in an eight spot in January and teams come calling on Mike Green, what they're going to do because – the right thing is to pull a Shattenkirk like the Blues did and say, you know what, we got to do the right thing for five years from now and not just the spring. And I don't, I don't, I don't have a great sense if I know what they'll do on that front. Well, the Capitals are in need of some defensive help, but I think Mike Green's a little out of their price range. So, you don't uh, think you can get him uh, under the cap there? You know, I, 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 I'm trying to think of who you get rid. Of. Maybe if there was a guy like number 44 going back. I mean, is Detroit needing some <laughs> intangible support or? Uh, uh, I don't know. I could use him in that dressing room. Yeah, if he's great for quotes. Don't worry. About it. I mean, <laughs> no, he's he's uh, the Capitals. Uh, Orpix looked okay so far, and they're they're going to count on him for a lot of minutes right now with their depleted back end. But Craig, uh, I got to ask, when when is the Athletic going to come to DC? People seem to be uh, really loving this new format of reporting. It's been really good. Um, 
just into like I'm really excited about what our, our hockey coverage has been it, to, to the point now where even if you're not one of our cities like if you're a Capitals fan that you're following the league I, I think there's enough stuff there with Pierre Lebrun and Myrtle and myself and you know Mike Russo and we're pumping out a lot of a lot of kind of high-end hockey stuff um and and I've really been excited about how fans have responded like the subscriber numbers are you know have exceeded all of our expectations it's been awesome to see people support it. Um, and I, you know, when are we coming to the DC is a, is a good question. I, I think we, you know, we, we launched to start the season where we're at now and the numbers have been so encouraging. I can tell you just internally, we're now having those conversations and we're pulling out spreadsheets and putting names next to cities and what, what, what are dream scenarios. And, and, you know, I think the capitals are an interesting team and there's a great fan base there. So, I wouldn't be surprised if we could get into that market. You gotta really like the self-loathing and the and the uh, the sadness that comes in every <laughs> every eight. Well, some usually it's early May, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, Craig, where, yeah. where, where yeah. can everybody find your book, and, and where can they kind of get updates from you about what what's going on with you and and with Detroit? Yeah, so I mean, I've, I feel like I'm just constantly self-promoting now. So the book is um, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it at Barnes and Noble, uh, anywhere books are sold. And the one thing I, I'm gonna make it have a bunch of spiels here. The one thing I would say if you if you read it and you liked it, it really helps me out if you leave a review on Amazon in a big way. Like it really is uh, is helpful in terms of kind of moving it up the the rankings and all that. So that would be helpful. Um, you can I would strongly suggest go to theathletic.com/nhl and check out our NHL coverage. A lot of great stuff being done there. And also, if you're a podcast fan, I just did episode three of the full 60, which is a, an hour-long podcast each week, kind of taking a lap around the NHL, kind of diving into some issues. And in fact, this is a great great episode this week because it's former um, Capitals assistant GM Frank Provenzano, and we tackled the idea of rebuilding and what's the best route because I had Frank do that one because he was part of the team that tore it down to get Ovechkin in Washington and in Dallas, when he was there, he was part of the group that kind of did a transitional rebuild where you don't get too bad because they were worried that the stands would empty too too much. And he had some really interesting stories about the Capitals era and Yager and making that deal and, and some of what went into the teardown in Washington. And that's that's on the latest episode of The Full 60. That should be great, and everyone should go check that out. And also follow you on Twitter, of course, at Craig Custance. Uh, Craig, Did I forget I, to promote something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't, you didn't plug your Twitter in there. I mean, that's that's the great link to everything. So uh, yes, Twitter. Well, too. You, you had to do it so much recently because you've got a lot of great stuff going on. So, Craig, thanks a lot yeah. for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Adam. Anytime. On behalf of myself and Craig Custance, thanks for listening to this episode of Japers Rink Radio.